Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. I'd like to welcome you to another episode of As Some of You Once Were, with me, Trevor Brierley, pastor of Round Oak Baptist Church in Corbin, Virginia. And today we're going to continue our study through the book of Romans. And we're going to look back over some of what we've talked about so far, because, again, every once in a while it's good to have a bit of a recap on what's been going on. We've spent eight weeks so far, this being the ninth, but the eight weeks so far looking through the book of Romans. We've almost gotten through the second chapter, but we're still going. So far, we have looked at really trading the truth for a lie. The slippery slope that sin creates in our lives. Going from mere idolatry to complete depravity. We've talked about judgment. Notably, we talked about God's righteous judgment. I mean, that was a quick rundown on really all we've talked about so far. But we don't have really the time to go back through it all. Uh, if you have missed something or if you want to hear it again, please go back and listen to the previous episodes, 1 through 8. But again, that brings us up to where we are today. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 24. This section looks at an issue that we still have here today. Paul's kind of taking a knife to what the Jewish culture taught then. And really, also what many think today. And that simply is this, that that is the thinking that works, what we do, can save us, that we can help ourselves. That is, if we have done something, a certain act, then we are better than others. And again, he breaks this down into two main parts. The two things that the Jews at the time thought was the epitome of what it meant to be a godly person. And those two things are the law and circumcision. We'll do the first today, and then next time, next week, we'll do the next. But again, follow along if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do. Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 24. Starting in verse 17. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, and boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law. And if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law, you then, who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say, you must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And as we start here, we're looking at mainly those first few verses, 17 through 20. 
Many people, when reading this, when they go through this, the thing that comes to mind are our Jewish priests. Most of the time, that's where our, our mindset goes. The top leadership of the synagogues. But what we have to see is here is that he is talking to all the Jews. Not just the upper echelons, shall we say. And there will be more of an explanation of that as we continue. But he is saying these things to drive home a point. Because the Jewish nation, the Hebrews, were set apart. They were to be a light to the world. Isaiah 42 verses 6 and 7 says this, I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will point you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations, in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. This is what was meant to be for the Jews. And I'll say this, this is what we, as followers of Christ, are to do and are to be as well. This is what we're supposed to be. We are to be a light in a world of darkness. And looking at this, we need to start thinking in a different way. We just read this. It started off, if you, he said, now if you call yourself this, if you believe you are to be these things, or that you are these things, we have to look at it like this. What did Jesus say about this? Luke chapter 12, verse 48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be expected. Wanting to do these things is a good thing. Everyone who calls themselves a, a Christian, everyone who claims that they follow Jesus Christ, the Lord revealed to us through his word and what we call the Bible, everyone who calls themselves that should strive to do this and should strive to follow Christ. We should be wanting to show others Jesus. We should be teaching others the gospel every day. As Christians, do we take our light and hide it under a basket? Should we be wanting to keep it a secret? I don't think so. We should, though, be pushing to get to a place that we are able to share what we have at any time. And we should be doing this in a way that is increasingly effective. Not merely in the sense that everyone we talk to will believe in Christ, that will be changed, but in a way that we are able to present the gospel, to be able to show that we actually believe 
what we say we believe. But we have to remember this as well. There is something that we have to keep in our minds. Yes, we should want to be like this. We should want to be different and set apart and to do amazing things for God as He uses us. But I must remind you, there is a cost. There is a way that we are to represent ourselves. Because if we call ourselves Christians, we are literally representing Jesus Christ. And that is a much bigger deal than I think most people really realize. The cost is great to walk the line with Jesus Christ, to have him guide and lead you, and yes, to have the Holy Spirit even convict us. But what we have to remember is that when we come to Christ, when we bow bended knee to the Lord and the Savior of the world, we have been bought with the price. We are no longer our own. And nice and easy, simple way to say it is that we don't get our way anymore. When Jesus says jump, we do not ask him how high. We just start jumping. Verse 21 and 22. You then, who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal, do you steal? You who say, you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples. If we claim something, if we say we are following Jesus Christ, what does that look like? What does that look like? Let me ask it to you in this way. If the only thing that others knew about Christianity, the only thing that people around you knew about Jesus was from you and how you represented him, what would they think about Christianity? What would they think about Jesus? That, that's, a, that's a tough question to answer. And I hope that it makes you think. I really do. Because right off the bat, a lot of Christians would like, would love to be able to say, yes, they would know the biblical, real Jesus. And to be fair, a lot of other Christians would simply say, they don't know. There should be some conviction there. there because what we have to always see it and always remember, no matter how good we think we are, how much of a Christian we think we are, we will always fall short. And if we don't think that we fall short, it's simply said this way, that Christ died for nothing. We can't live 
perfect lives. We will always fall short this side of eternity. I hope that question really resonates in you. Maybe that one time that you knew you had an in, that you could have talked to somebody. But for whatever, one of a million reasons why, but for whatever reason, you didn't. I didn't. Man, we messed up. What would others know about Jesus if it was solely based on you? Jesus warned the religious leaders in Matthew 23, 28. He said this, On the outside you seem righteous to people, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is taking things a step further, because that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. Just like back in Matthew, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. He makes things tougher. He says that hating someone is tantamount. It's the same as murder. That lust is the same as adultery. And in Matthew 23, only the things that others see will not make you righteous. And not only that, but some of us just don't care. Because we are stuck on ourselves and in our ways. You must not steal. He says, but do you? Not just walking into a store and maybe taking a candy bar and putting it in your pocket without paying. Yes, that's stealing, but it goes much further than that. But are you taking anything from others? Do you say that something is bad or wrong or sinful and then do it yourselves? This is reiterating what Paul was writing before at the beginning of chapter 2 here. Do we look at others with contempt? Do we look at others and judge them and then do the very same thing? Now I know that is really, really easy to do. To think about someone else, to think, well, this is not me. I don't do those kinds of things. I don't sin. I have sadly heard many Christian, supposed Christian men and women say these kind of things, that they do not sin. I want you to keep this in mind. Maybe one of those verses that we have to keep in our back pocket for certain times. Kept in context, obviously, but something to think about. 1 John 1.8 says this, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We often miss the realization that God has given us. And that is that we are 
In fact, sinners, we are not perfect. In fact, we're quite far from being perfect. In the book of James, he makes a big deal about the tongue. The idea that such a small part of the body can cause some of the greatest turbulence, can cause strife, envy, hate. James 3, 6, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. The little things are what we often create The little things are what very often create the biggest waves. And this is the kicker. This gets me every time. Verse 23. You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? This is not being written as a question to be answered. It is more rhetorical, basically saying that this is what we are doing. Saying that we are breaking the law of God, and thus you are dishonoring him. We break the law, and then we dishonor him by breaking the law. You claim one thing, and then do the opposite. We today are doing the same things that the Jews were doing all those years ago. We boast in what we do. We're boasting in our works. Boasting in how we look on the outside. How other people perceive us. Deceiving others and ourselves. And here Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the power of Christ, is calling out the Jews for this. And God is still using this today to call us out on the very same things. Looking to keep all the rules and all the regulations, yet getting ourselves nowhere simply because we cannot keep them. Too often we have a picture, an idea that is set in our minds. That is how things should be. That we make up how things should go. And we dishonor God by doing all that we can to make things a certain way whether this is at, at home, at work, even at the church. And we forget that we are the body of Christ. And we do all these things on a consistent basis. And we dishonor God. And as that body of Christ, 
too often it seems that we will do almost anything to fracture that body. Again, verse 23, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Quite simply, if we had to answer that, straight and to the point, the answer is yes. Verse 24, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. I don't have to tell you this. You already know. But I'm going to say it anyway. But the world is watching us. And even more so than that, they love when we slip up. They love when we sin. And the big one, at least in my estimation, I can say, the big one, though, is when we mess up in the things that we preach and rail so hard against. What does the whole world? No, let's shrink it back down. Let's make it local. What does your local community, your small town, your, your neighborhood, what do they think of the church, your local church, your congregation, where you attend and serve? What does your non-Christian neighbor think of God? Because I will tell you this, and this may hit home kind of hard for some of us, but I will tell you this, they will gather their general thinking about the church and about God from us, from you. If they know that you call yourself a Christian, they will watch you. And that is how they will know and what they will think about you and about more expressly, Jesus. And though Paul is talking about the Jews here, it is the same for us. And again, it brings me no joy to say this. And I'm not talking about any one person in specific. But again, the name of God is blasphemed because of us. Now, I know this is not the easiest thing to hear. It's not the best sermon given or the best talk or the teaching ever heard. But the comparing of what was happening then to the church today, it is strikingly similar. We base far too much on our own thinking. And we base far too much of our self-proclaimed righteousness on our actions. The visible part of us and what we think matters most. What we perceive others to think about us has become the most important thing. Verse 25. 
there are congregations around the world gathering week in and week out that are no more than whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones. Again, it brings me no joy to say that. Not even a little bit. But we need to understand that, yes, we are sinners who are in very much need of a Savior. And that it is my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And when we really start to understand that, we will start to live in more of a way that points the world to Christ instead of pointing them away from Him. And that's where we'll end it today. As we see this part, some of this, again, teaching is, is very hard to hear because we have a mindset and, and a way of thinking that says I'm not that bad. But again, the gospel goes against cultural and societal norms. It is offensive and for very good reason. But again, I thank you for listening. I pray that you were blessed by this study. I pray that as you go throughout the rest of your week, that you will be looking for new ways to praise and worship Jesus Christ and to be effective witnesses for him in a world that is lost and is dying. And again, I pray that you will find a local church, a congregation where you can worship because the Bible is preached. Not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Again, I thank you for listening. May the Lord richly bless you in all that you do.